Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 521 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, we're going to speak with Stefan. He's had diabetes for a couple of years. He's actually an adult in grad school, so he's not that old, and he's not that young. But he is just starting to get used to type 1. I love this conversation with Stefan. He's got a really interesting job and some great insights. While you're listening, if you would do me the favor of remembering that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, I would appreciate it. And further, if you'd remember to always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin, that I would appreciate as well. I have a little time here, so I, don't rem- I want to remind you that the podcast is full of series, how we eat with different people's eating styles, defining diabetes, which are diabetes terms easily and simply defined in short episodes. That's with me and Jenny Smith. Jenny's a CDE, and she's had type 1 for 30 years. She's also with me on the diabetes pro tip episodes, which I think we should all listen to. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. We're also sponsored by the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter. If you're using a blood glucose meter, and I think that's all of you, you all have one, right? Please tell me you all have a meter. Anyway, if you're using a blood glucose meter, you want one that is accurate easy to use, and easy to hold. If that's the case, look no farther than the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Learn more at contournext.com forward slash juice box. I'm Stefan Pollock. I'm, uh, let's see, 28 years old now. Um, I've had type 1 diabetes for two years. Um, I don't know. I'm a mechanical engineer. Um, and I'm a, a grad student, well, currently in grad school. So working on a master's degree with type 1 diabetes, which is still relatively new to me. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Well, first of all, let's put that degree into practice and get that sound to stop happening. <laughs> oh, is it still happening? <laughs> You're talking. I'm like, you know, for a, a guy with a mechanical engineering degree, I would think he could get that sound to stop <laughs> Oh, man. See, I unplugged it. Now, maybe now I just got to stand like stock still. Are you talking with your hands or? No, I'm uh, uh, well, I'm shaking my head. I don't know. Maybe that's it. Sorry. Don't don't. Hey, here's my direction. Don't overthink it. And please stop doing that at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) Just don't move. There's only been one noise in a recent episode. It actually went up today that I found kind of soothing while I was listening to it. And it was someone um, I put up an episode today with. Shirley, and she's from South Africa. By the mm-hmm. time someone hears me say that, it'll be like last year, probably. But um, there were crickets in the background. And I was like, this is lovely. Like, there's just this like quiet blend of crickets behind me. And I thought the whole time we were recording, I thought, I'm going to leave this in. This is great. And then the minute I sat to edit it in every quiet space where she wasn't talking, I just chopped the crickets out. I hated it. I was was like, this has to go. Uh, And I'm just imagining myself editing your show six months from now and just taking out the 
<laughs> making me me cursing at you and you don't even realize it. <laughs> but but so all right, so you're 28, you were diagnosed when you were 26. You're obviously getting a, a fairly advanced degrees that are going on for for some time. You're a, a professional student at the moment, or do you work as well? Oh, uh, work full time. Jesus. What are you, super smart, Stefan? What's going on here? Oh, heck no. Are no? you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's my assumption. If you can go to grad school, be a mechanical engineer, and be working at the same time, that you have three brains, and uh, they're all working simultaneously. What? How do you find yourself doing that? Are you just, is there something you're striving for? Do you like being in school? What's the, what's the draw? Uh, yeah, no. So my, my undergrad, I loved my undergrad and, um, I just wanted to continue, you know, I was thinking like research in the end, um, I'm, I'm an automotive engineer specifically Mm -hmm. and you know, that space is getting more and more interesting, um, as time goes on with fully electrics and hybrids coming out. So, yeah. Do I want a Tesla truck, Stefan? Yes or no? What do you think? Uh, depends on if you like the way it looks. Here's what I want. I'm going to be 50. So my wife tells me I'm going to be 50 uh, in the summer, uh, which is now not a running joke throughout the years of the podcast, but just a really great indication that I lose track of my age every once in a while. So I was really sure I was going to be 49. Kelly tells me I'm going to be 50. I did the light math, and I think she's right. Uh, So (laughs) I'm sure we could do the math together if we needed to, but I'm pretty sure she's right. And I found myself thinking, I want to own and drive daily an electric car, even if it's just once, just to have the experience. So I don't know mm-hmm. what, what one would be affordable for me, but um, I definitely just want the experience one time. I don't even know if I'll like it or not. Just seems like, it seems like the world took a big leap ahead and I'd like to, you know, I'd like to walk alongside it for a little bit and figure it out. I, I kind of similarly have thoughts about rap music um that i don't understand that i'm still like this is very popular i should try to understand this um oh yeah no you should absolutely right you know i I don't want to be that old guy who's just like that's not how we used to do it and then sit down and just watch reruns of football games from when i was 30 uh (laughs) (laughs) you know i want to try to keep up a little bit tell me can we go into your job a little what do you do that i find that really interesting yeah so i work with um Internal combustion engines. So they all run um, software, basically, that tells the car, like, uh, how it's running, what it's doing. Um, So I calibrate that. If I gave you a 327 small block out of a 60s Chevy, would you have the first faint idea how it works or what to do with it? Like, do you have to learn it from the ground up or can you come into something like this? Like, like do do classic combustion engines really not exist anymore in someone like yours thinking well so the the principles of remain the same right so you have spark air and fuel that hasn't changed but the way it works now you know with electronics and fuel injection there's sensors on everything uh hardly anything is really mechanical anymore it's it that's definitely not something that you can just jump into i mean um i'm not even two years into this job and it's like it's like the learning curve is so steep everything's a whirlwind every day it's like you feel like you're drowning and slowly climbing your way out of some hole um and you still and then you know you go to a meeting with all these other people your managers your supervisors and you realize that they are head and shoulders 
more knowledgeable than you. It's it's pretty incredible. Just when you start feeling the sunshine on the, the crown of your head coming out of the hole, someone just jams you back down again. Yep, absolutely. That kind of sounds like diabetes a little bit. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The learning curve on diabetes is like, oh, I think I'm getting it. And then all of a sudden your honeymoon ends. You're like, oh, I didn't understand this at all. And, yep. and I just got a note from a person who th- this morning – and uh, it's a mom of a, of, a, of a younger boy. And she's like, I don't understand. Like, everything I do doesn't work now. And I was like, yeah, there's not enough insulin. She's like, why not? And I was like, I don't know. Like, you definitely need more, though. And, you know, you got to, you know, keep turning it up. Like, something's changed. The kid's growing, you know, puberty. I don't know what, it, you know, I have no idea. But obviously, you're right. It was just interesting how she was thrown right back to where she started. And even though she had all the tools to handle it, the one leap she couldn't make was the more than doubling of the basal insulin. There's something about hundred percent in people's heads that make them feel like that's the biggest number in the world. So if your basal insulin, what's your basal insulin hourly? Uh, currently I've about 30 units a day. Okay. Hold on a second. Divided by 24. All right. That goes in once. Oh boy. Here we go. Leave six. I'm getting to it. What do you get? <laughs> be like one, probably like 1.3 an hour, something like that. Right. Yeah, something like that. Okay. So if if your needs suddenly doubled for some reason to three units an hour, it that stops most people. Like they could somehow understand if it went to 2.6, but there's something about more than doubling. Or interestingly enough, if they've set a, a max basal range in their pump, which is usually just done for safety reasons, like you have a max bolus and max basal, right? right? If they've set a max, so you know the doctor says, "Look, your ba- your you know, your kid's basal rate is 0.2, so I'm going to set the max basal at I don't know one because we don't want you to mistakenly give the kid two units an hour, right? And then a couple of years later, suddenly the kid needs 1.5 an hour and they hit the max, it stops them. Why is that, Stefan? Why am I asking you and why is that? I don't know, but I totally get it. I mean, I remember, oh man, when I, when I, so when I first was diagnosed, um, sent out of the hospital, like, oh, we could go into that experience too. Cause wow. Like, I don't know if it's different when you're younger or, well, it's going to be different, right? Because I think your parents get the download of knowledge versus you. Mm-hmm. But like, for me, it was like, here's a book on diabetes, more catered towards type twos. Here's your insulin. Take this much. Good luck. <laughs> you know? Yay. They probably thought you're an engineer. You'll figure it out. Oh my God. Heck no. Well, that's but. interesting too, because there's segments of people that I see handled diabetes differently. I've been saying this a lot lately, but nurses who are parents of children are kind of traditionally not good at it originally because there's something about their training that doesn't jive with how diabetes is actually managed day to day. And so they hit this kind of this firewall. But engineers seem to really get it in a different way. Um and, and most of them can put it into practice eventually, but it takes them a little longer. It's just very interesting getting to start meeting more and more people who fall into buckets and to see the similarities between them. It's uh, So I imagine one day your A1C will just be 5.3 and there'll be nothing you can do that will stop that from happening. But Oh, I, I can only hope. I can only hope. <laughs> What's your setup? What are you using? So I'm on a Dex. I have a Dexcom and then I'm on a, the Tandem T-Slim. Dexcom and T-Slim. Got it. 
And are you using an algorithm with a T-Slim or no? Yeah, I have the control IQ set up on there. Is it working? Yeah, yeah, it's working. Uh, there's some uh, cheats that I've had to do, uh, you know, off the book uh, to get it to work better for me. Um, do you want to share them with me? Is one of them leave it in sleep mode all the time? I hear people talk about that a lot. Absolutely. hundred percent. This thing is in sleep mode. Why? What, what's the difference between the two? So I, I don't know. I was finding that in, in normal mode. So in normal mode, it will give you those um, correction boluses, those mini correction boluses. Mm-hmm. But by the time you get them, you're already at like 180 yeah. or above. Whereas in sleep mode, it kind of, it it jams your range tighter so I, I don't remember the exact numbers but it won't let you go above a certain amount well it will but you know it starts to feed in more basil above a certain amount hmm. and then take it away at a certain amount and those numbers are tighter i it makes me feel like and this is conjecture completely but it makes me feel like they were looking at the algorithm they're like all right well this works but we'll call this sleep mode because it works really well it'll be more aggressive when you don't have food so we can keep somebody lower and more stable like this we probably should just call it more aggressive mode but we won't do that we'll let people figure it out for themselves like don't you feel like there's two settings like one for everybody and one for the people who want to be like aggressive yeah it's it's like uh normal mode is like the the wonky line mode and for me sleep mode is the let's keep it nice and straight no kidding That is that simple. Like, so you get the rises at food in normal that take forever to come back down. But then when they do come back down, they come back pretty level. Uh, yeah. In sleep mode. If, if, if I'm in normal mode, I'll get those rises. Then it'll do the correction bolus. It won't move. It won't move. It won't move. And then, you know, inevitably I pick up the pump, fiddle with it, give myself a bolus and then like, you know, turn around and I'm in the fifties. So for you, normal mode should be called. What if I only ate 30 carbs a day mode? This would be great. Right. <laughs> Normal mode or please don't have a slice of pizza mode. <laughs> right. Don't you even think about that Chinese mode. <laughs> Where did you want dim what again? No, 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 no. No, you need sleep mode for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> anyway, that's why I think they should go back to, uh, um, you know, ridiculous speed. What was that movie? That Oh, my God. Do you ever have half a thought pop into your head, but not the whole thing? That just happened to me. <laughs> oh, you mean, uh, is it Spaceballs where they have plaid? And then ridiculous. It's space balls, right? I think so. Yeah. Or, or ludicrous speed. It's ludicrous speed. There you go. See, I was so far off on all of that. Oh, my God. Um, Someone will email you. No, that was wrong. You know, there's part. So there's part of you that's like, oh, people are listening. Like, it really feels good. And then there's part of you that is like, please leave me alone. <laughs> like, Stefan, I got to get you to get your phone to stop beeping. Can you do that? Yeah, yeah. Right, sorry. Uh, give, give me one do, second. Do your thing. Do whatever you have to do. Yep. Oh, you're going to hear the, the wonderful swish noise. No, that's fine. Oh, you know, it's not my phone. It's actually the... You can hear iMessage? Yeah. Wow. So, ready? Top left corner, Apple. Sy- yep. System preferences. Yep. Sounds. Sound. Yep. Um, under sound effects, play sound effects through headphone, turn the volume all the way down. Play sound effects through headphones. See the slider for alert volume? Yep. Just turn the volume all the way down, the slider all the way down. 
oh my god that's amazing and that's what i was talking about about they only want you to use these things if you really really want to use them because it took me about four hours one day to figure that out um just like people ask for um transcripts of the show and i'm in my third month of adding transcripts to the website and it, the process is just arduous and painful and it takes up so many hours and i'm, I'm almost done um and if it doesn't help i'm gonna scream like if some if i don't get an email from somebody immediately it's like thank goodness you added transcripts to this show <laughs> i'm gonna be pretty disappointed i guess unless oh man it, if you're doing that, then I got to see the ones for this one. Just like bing, <laughs> bing, bing. That's uh, that's lovely. So uh, what I was, I guess what I was getting at is it's interesting, right? These algorithms are coming out um, that are being, you know, Arden uses Loop right now. Um, but we're super excited to use Omnipod 5. But there is that part of you that's like, I hope it's going to let me be aggressive. Like, I want to be aggressive. Like, I hope it doesn't. And I can't see how they don't know that, um, that there's probably two different segments of people using it. Um, but I anyway, that's what I think of when I see sleep mode. I think sleep mode to me seems like, yeah, here, here's your cheat to be more aggressive. We'll call it sleep mode. Um, but it sounds like it works great. It really does. I think algorithms in general are... I don't even know how to say it, but but for people who have pumps who can afford glucose monitors, that whole setup, I can't imagine anybody wouldn't want it, um, at least from my perspective. Jenny and I were talking the other day. Um, it's December right now, 2020, for perspective. And Jenny and I were talking about, I was telling her what I wanted to do with her in 2021 uh, on the show, because she only has a limited amount of time, and you know we're trying to figure out how to use it. And then I started talking about what I want to do in 2022. And she's like, are you planning for two years from now? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> because everyone who's paying attention to algorithms and pumps is super excited for it and wants it today. But the majority of people don't know it's coming, don't know what it is, and wouldn't use it if somebody told them. And so I think of it as a, an education process that'll go on for years, really. You, you know, I mean, just keep in mind that right now more people use MDI than use pumping into in 2020. And not that I'm saying you have to use one or the other. I'm just saying that the adoption of things is very slow and that there's an argument to be made that you're really only reaching newly diagnosed people because people who are settled with something that they believe is working are very, very, very scared to change. So, um, and change has to be super simple. And I mean, honestly, Stefan, was it super simple to learn how to use that T-Slim? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's what you want, right? But now people have to believe that that's true. So I think that's a bigger hurdle is reaching people who are already set and and making them believe that it would be reasonably simple to change to something that would end up being monumentally better. But I don't know. That's a, Trust me, that's a harder thing than, uh, than you might think. And probably some of it, too, I think maybe comes from maybe, you know, distrust of computer algorithms, but like from my perspective, it's something that I work with all the time. Like you, you would be, if you don't like computers and you don't think that, uh, you know, they can do stuff, then man, you want to stay away from cars because everything that we do now for how the engine works is run through a computer and we build model after model, after model, after model with it. And it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you can give it, you know, 
back to you know engines again um you can give it a certain amount of air a certain amount of fuel and this model will tell you all right here's the speed you're at you know here's how much torque you're making here's what you need to do with it mm-hmm. well and, you know what my, the car i have currently um has collision avoidance right mm-hmm. and so when you're buying it the guy says this car has collision avoidance and i'm like what does that mean he goes well theoretically you shouldn't be able to drive into a brick wall and I'm like, say it again. And so he's like, I think he goes, I think, right? I think right. if you went outside and drove at the building, the car would stop, even if you had your foot on the gas. And I'm like, should we go try that? You, you know, <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm up for this, you know? And he laughed a little and he's like, it's a new feature. I honestly, I've never talked to anybody who's used it, blah, blah, blah. And a number of months later, my wife and I went to DC, actually to see Yo-Yo Ma play. And we were coming home, and I was getting back up on the highway in a place I had never been before. And it was this sort of long on-ramp that merged up onto a roadway that, of course, was at, was over my head. So I couldn't see what was ahead of me. But more importantly, you were coming through trees on your left so that you couldn't even see what was coming from behind you. So I'm picking up speed, picking up speed, thinking I'm about to merge onto this, you know, probably fast-running highway. And as I'm coming up... Everything is just stopped in front of me. And I take a split second to see, can I just get over now? So I check my mirror. I realize there's a car there that I can't get over. And I'm making the decision to put my foot on the brake. And everything in front of me was closer than I thought it was. Now, I want to be clear. I believe I would have stopped the car. Like, it wasn't that. It wasn't like the car was eight feet in front of me. But before I could get my foot off the accelerator onto the brake, I could feel the brake get sucked out from underneath of my foot. Some alarm went off in the car, and it came to an abrupt stop. It never tailed. It didn't fishtail. It just and stopped. My wife yelled, what the f*** was that? I was like, wow, this car really can stop itself. And that was pretty much the end of it. It was startling. But it was fascinating how well it worked. You're telling me that that was done with a computer algorithm and little yep. cam- and little cameras. Yep, little cameras and a computer algorithm. No kidding. You understand how that works? Not quite, because okay. that's not that's not in my department. But I, I mean, so I don't know how deep. Probably not that deep. It's basically looking at how far away what's in front of you is, how close it's getting, and how quickly it's approaching. And then it makes that determination. Oh shit! There's a car there. Let's break. And there's a because dr- this, this guy's not doing it. So there's a drop dead moment where the algorithm decides if we wait past this line, we're not we're going to hit this thing. So I'm yep. ta- I'm taking over now. I yep. have to, I have to tell you, it worked spectacularly well. And um, when I the next time I went in for service, the guy's like, "Any problems with the car?" And I recognized him. I was like, "No, but hey, interesting story." And I told him about Yo Yo Ma. Um, not about the concert, but about coming home from it. And um, he said, that really worked. It was funny how astounded he was as the salesperson. He's like, wow, that really worked. And I was like, it worked. I said, I don't know if I was going to hit them or not. I don't think I would have crushed the car in front of me, but I do think I would have impacted it. You know what I mean? And, um, And so what you're saying is, if we can do that, then an algorithm can definitely change your basal rate with a little bit of predictive information. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Dude. Yeah. It's super. I can't imagine. L- listen, I'll tell you that Arden started using. So, again, I have to say, poor Arden. 
I imagine I'll die one day, Stefan, and my children, in a way to connect with me, will go back and listen to this podcast. And then Arden's going to start making a tick sheet on the side every time she heard the words Arden's period. But um, <laughs> Arden gets her period too long, right? She gets it for too long, and sometimes it's heavier than it should be. So we made the decision at the beginning of her last period to put her on a really low dose of a birth control pill to see if it, the hormones couldn't regulate this. Like, no lie today, she came in and said to me, I'm not bleeding anymore, but I still have a little bit of blood. And this is the 11th day of my period. So by the time this ends, she'll get like a week's respite and it'll come back again. So she's not just getting it for too long, but she's sometimes getting it twice in a month. So anyway, a very reasonable reason uh, to, to, to try this because we've done a lot of other things that haven't impacted it. So we're trying this. Arden's basal rate right now is a unit and a half an hour since she started taking the pill, but was 0.9 an hour before the pill. And it took me a day or two to see that, okay, the pill started to impact her, that my settings weren't going to to be able to overcome this. And I just zoomed, I zoomed it right up. And I have to be honest, I just looked at the graph and I was like, the outcome I'm having here to me seems like she needs about a half unit more an hour. And I threw it in and saw what happened. I then turned her insulin sensitivity stronger uh, by a couple of points. I think we went from 42 to 40 maybe. Um, and she's very settled now. Like her blood sugar has been like 88 for, I'm going to look because I've been astonished at how long it's been since I made the setting. So I made the setting changes last night around nine. It took until about three in the morning to work. So from... 4.50 this morning till now, which is now like 12.30 in the afternoon, her blood sugar has been between like 80 and 95. So my new settings are working. Um, and now I'll make decisions about carb ratio at meals. Like, let's see if that changed or not. That'll be the next thing. But mm -hmm. po point is, because of the algorithm, I really was just pushing up gently on some levers, basically. Just, oh, I'll just make this stronger. And I know this is going to work. I don't know how long it would have taken me to figure the same thing out without an algorithm. I, I'm guessing about three weeks it would have took me. So I, I think they're just astonishing um, and, and, and really exciting. Tell me. Yeah, and, God. Oh, no, no, no. I, I was going to say, and once you get over that like initial fear of changing settings too, I, I think that, yeah, it, the algorithm coupled with, you know, that willingness to experiment safely, like, that's that that was a game changer for me you know like listening to this podcast kind of the you know deciding yeah let's be bold and um you know like so my first big change was i don't know if it was the end of the honeymoon or coming like out of so i was diagnosed in march so coming out of the winter and into the summer mm -hmm. like i was having yeah i was at uh initially maybe nine units uh a basal a day and I was going low like crazy. And then I pushed it down to four, you know, and slowly it's been creeping back up. So, you know, that I remember that first change was like, let's do this, see what happens. And then the next change, when I went back up, that, that was really scary. Like, you know, from four units then to, I think it was like, I doubled it to eight units a day. And now here I am at like 30. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and can you imagine if you were stuck in your head with like, well, try moving it 20% and then wait a few weeks and see what happens and then try it again. It would take you years to get to where you are. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, all, and all the while you'd be raging at people with your high blood sugars and lows and not having a great time. <laughs> well, and not only that, but I'll tell you that the, the weird cyclical uh, merry-go-round you get on is that you push the basal up not enough. So your blood sugar gets high. So you make some grand correction to your blood sugar at some point, which drives your 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 blood sugar low. Then you show it to your endocrinologist who sees a bunch of lows throughout the day. And you know what they do? They make take your basal, your basal yeah, away. Yeah, but they yeah. take your basal away. Because you're like, oh, you're getting low all the time. We'll make your basal lower. When the truth is, you need the basal higher so that you have better results around meals. You're not rage bolusing high blood sugars, not creating a deficit of insulin away from active food in your system, crashing low. And that's that's it. It, it literally, the outcome tricks pe- most people into doing the exact opposite of what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You need more basil so you don't get high, so that you don't have to over bolus, so that you don't crash low. Not You're not getting low because of the basil. You're getting high because of the basil. Mm-hmm. being off and, and too weak. That is, I'm always astonished at how even doctors don't get that. Like, because I get to hear from a lot of people, I'm not saying all doctors, but I get to hear from a lot of people who are having uh, incongruous uh, ex- experiences between the podcast and their doctor and the doctor's trying to push their basal down while the podcast is leading them to believe that they should probably have it a little higher and um, you can't make those people believe that. You just can't. It, it's impossible for some reason. Um, and then you get stuck, you know. And, and it, it's a it's a stuck that could could be on you forever. It's really yeah. sad, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, it took me. I think I I rotated through two endocrinologists so far. Mm-hmm. Like the first one was like, no, no, I, I I got this. It's my steering wheel. You know, it's your diabetes, but my car that we're driving, kind of a thing. It's it was a little odd. And Did then, they use uh, that um, metaphor? Yeah. Oh, well, that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and then uh, the my second endo, she was like, you know. I want to work with you. Let's see. And then, you know, three months later, I was like, no, you got this, you know, keep on keeping on with what you're doing. Excellent. And and that was like that. Like for me still being you at this hearing, you know, the, like, you got this, you can do this. You kind of know what you're doing. That was like really big, really, really big uh, confidence booster. That's not to say that like every day is perfect. Some days definitely suck, but yeah, I, no, I, I, I don't know if I ever said it here, but I'd say it to people a lot when I'm speaking to them privately. And, you know, at the end, I'll say, look, nothing I told you while we were talking today was advice. Like, I'm not a doctor and please don't take this as medical advice. I said, but I can give you one piece of advice. Uh, I say, I think you understand this better than you believe you do. You should trust your gut a little more. And basically, it's like a verbal pat on the ass, like before they run out on the field. Like, I think that's mm-hmm. something that people desperately need at times, which is just the idea of like, maybe I am right about this. Um, instead of living in that flux where the information coming from your physician is so different than what you're seeing in your real life that you just make the assumption that you're misunderstanding what you're looking at. And it's so frequently the opposite. Although 
there is a, a kind of inverse to that, which is when people are making decisions where their settings are so far off, I do tell people a lot, look, we just made a big change to your basal, a big change to your carb ratio. We've changed these sensitivities. You're going to start seeing things and you're going to try to apply what you know about diabetes and what you know about diabetes is often completely wrong because your settings were so wrong. You're having these outcomes, not unlike the low basal causing low blood sugars, the kind of thing. Um, you, you've been having these outcomes for so long. You don't understand what you're looking at anymore. I, I sometimes say, please just forget what you think you know and start over from day one now that your settings are much closer to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, anyway, uh, married, dating? Nope. Good Single. For Good for you. No dog? <laughs> No dog. Look at you're really listening to this show. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I tried to joke about this with my wife's uh, somebody that my wife works with over Zoom the other day when they were kind of talking at the end of a meeting, and Kelly just says it all wrong. She's like, Scott tells people don't get married till after you're thirty and don't get a dog for sure and try not to have kids. My kids are in the room. My dog's looking at me. My wife's there. I'm like, it's not what I mean exactly. I'm, <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm saying you don't really know yourself into your thirties. Dogs are a lot more work than you think they are. And, you know, the kids thing I'm joking about because I love having kids, but they really don't pay back in any um, tangible way. It's all very feely. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> if you're looking for a boost from having children, it's uh, it, it comes in ways that you can't trade in for other things, just in case you're wondering. Uh, but but that's uh, you sound like you're hard at work. How do you work full time and go to school? Uh, it's time management, which I'm terrible at. Um, (laughs) it's, it's kind of, it's, uh, haphazard, I think for me, like if I manage my time, then I make a plan and then I find 50 ways to kind of blow that plan up and Mm -hmm. I excuse it all. So it's, it's the, uh, it's haphazard. You know, in the seventies, people would call that common sense. And in the two thousands, they would tell you you have ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) right i i think not working makes a lot of sense uh i'm always looking for ways to get away from this and uh, and by the way this coronavirus thing has been terrible because the days are blending into weeks and i'm and the hours i don't even care about the hours anymore so i'm doing these things where like at nine o'clock at night i'm like well i've done everything i meant to do for today and oh, then yeah. I just started to restart the next day. I'm like, well, I guess I'll go work some more. Like I, I can edit a show for next week, I guess. Or instead of just taking time for a respite, because there's no respite, because my whole life is respite. It's just I'm all in this house. The house doesn't seem like a relaxing home base anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I get that. There, There is like no more. I think work-life balance is, is, is not a thing anymore. Yeah. No, 24 hours a day, you just put stuff where it fits. And I'm not 100% sure it's a bad idea, but I don't know how it would work if the world opened back up again and I could say, like, you know, go outside or go do different things. Like, the other day I was driving past this thing and it was like an indoor indoor skydiving. Like, I was trying to imagine it must be fans blowing up from the floor. I don't know. But I was like, yeah. oh, I would do that. And then I thought, well, that's not going to be open. <laughs> I can't do that. And by the time it, I can do it again, it's probably going to go out of business, right? Like, like how is that going to make it through a year of not operating? Um, but yeah, it's something about the home. Like my home has become, 
this is as close to what I imagine it must feel to live on the International Space Station, <laughs> I guess, is just sort of like everything's utilitarian at this point, you know. Um, well, how does, how does, um, how long did you have diabetes before your algorithm? Uh, so I, before I started pumping, I was on MDI for a year. Givoke Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes, ages 2 and above. Not only is Givoke Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to givokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Givoke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit givokeglucagon.com dot com slash risk. The word meter has a number of different definitions. The rhythm of a piece of poetry, the basic pulse and rhythm of a piece of music. It's a unit of measurement. And it means a device that measures and records the quantity, degree, or rate of something. The contour next one blood glucose meter it's a little bit of all that kind of smushed together. It's a little bit of poetry. It's got a lot of rhythm. And it's definitely going to measure the glucose in your blood. And it's going to measure it very accurately and easily. And while it's doing it, it's going to feel nice in your hand. And the light's going to be bright and soft and loving. I don't think the light is loving, but it does really illuminate where you're trying to get blood from at night. So damn handy. Seriously, though. There are a lot of meters available. Very few of them are actually accurate and easy to use. I think you should take a minute to look at contournext.com forward slash juice box just to see if maybe you maybe picked the wrong meter. And now you'd like to update yours with a better one, which, by the way, may be cheaper in cash than your current meter is right now through your insurance. Could be true for the strips as well. You may actually be eligible for a free meter. And they have a test strip savings program. These sound like things you should know about. And that's why I'm here to tell you about them today. And to ask you to go to contournext.com forward slash juicebox and educate yourself. You're carrying a meter anyway. You might as well carry a really good one. What are the main differences between the first and second year? So for me, it, it was flexibility. That was the big one. Um, part of my job is driving cars around, you know, testing them. And like, it was, for me at least, it was very, very, very scary. The thought of having a low mm -hmm. when I was on MDI and driving around. Because uh, I was on MDI and I also didn't have a Dexcom. So I was doing, you know, finger sticks. And, you know, the thought of being on a, test track at 100 miles per hour trying to calibrate a car and your blood sugar goes low and you know by the time you go low some sometimes those lows on mdi would happen like th those would be like crazy scary because you know i was honeymooning too yeah um so you know get in the car test here i'm at 150 okay that's fine i'm i'm not going to correct it and then you know 15 minutes later that 150 take the one away <laughs> you know here's a 50 <laughs> Your pancreas decided it wanted to work again, and yeah. so here we go. Squirt a little more in. 
And oh wow! And so, what did you do in that situation? Uh, for the ones that I would feel like I, I'd feel them at fifty, it's you, you know, pull over, pound some uh, gummies, fruit gummies, mm-hmm. and then just wait. Did you ever get done and go look at your notes? And your notes said E equals Mickey Mouse, and you're like, oh, oh my- <laughs> uh, like, yeah, it, it was bad. Like, I, I would look back at what I was doing or what, I, and I would have like no idea what I was thinking. Like, even in meetings, if I go low in a meeting, it's like I'll e- email everyone afterwards. Like, I apologize, I was rambling. I have no idea what I was saying. I must have sounded really stupid. Don't pay attention, please. If Christopher Columbus had pistons, let me tell you something right now where we'd be. (laughs) And they're all just messaging each other, like in the room. Stefan's blood sugar is low. Should we do something? (laughs) Yeah. What the hell is wrong with this kid? Again, this guy with the Columbus thing. (laughs) He he won't let go of it. (laughs) Well, that's frightening and not funny at all, by the way. Uh, Just the idea that, you know, you could be. I mean, honestly, you're incapacitated, but you don't look so. Right. 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 Yeah. And then the next step from that is, hey, did anyone else see Stefan have a seizure today in the meeting that, you know, you don't you're trying. And I guess you're trying very desperately not to be thought of that way at work as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's so um, I am one of two type ones in our department. Um, I only ever knew this one other, this one other coworker mm-hmm. and I knew him before I was diagnosed. Um, so now there's two and I, yeah, I, I just don't want to be stuff on the diabetic, you know? Yeah. I feel that I very, um, much use that as a guiding light when Arden was younger. I didn't want Arden to be the little girl that passed out at school, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, at the same time, I didn't want her to be walking around with these insanely high blood sugars. Um, right. And, and, and I mean, like, um, the other, the, my coworker too, you know, it's before I was diagnosed, people would talk about how he's, he's had episodes at work and, you know, people don't know what to do. They just kind of like would, they found him seizing at his desk and they had no idea what to do. So they just called nine one one. And by the time, you know, they came and, uh, gave him his glucagon, um, y- you know, he lost three months of memory. Wow. Really? Oh, that's terrible. Oh, you just chilled me. That was really terrible. Um, that sounds like it went on for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he had never, and probably for similar reasons that you just described, probably didn't want to tell people like, Hey, listen, if this ever happens to me, cause it freaks people out, you know, Hey, if this ever happens to me, uh, can you just open this red box and then there's a needle? Yeah. Yep. Now the needle's pretty big. Don't let that bother you. You're gonna squirt the water into the powder. Now I want you to take the powder in your hands and rub it back and forth till it dissolves. Now I'm gonna redraw the powder out into the needle. I just like you to stick this in the deepest part of my ass and push this plunger down. And yep. then and, and, you, and by the way, please don't pay attention to the needle because it's gonna hurt me, not you. Yeah. <laughs> blah blah blah. Meanwhile, I'm holding a a, a demo of the Gvoke hypo pen right here and I see why that was a good idea. Uh, I just kept it on my desk for some reason after I was talking about it one day. It just reminds me of what an amazing idea it is that it's just cap off, push down, done. Like that's that's the kind of thing that you need, especially in that situation. Because imagine mm-hmm. if your coworker could have said to somebody, "Hey, listen, I've got this pen here. You know, this should ever happen. Just you know, anywhere. Just hit me with it real quick, and it would have mm-hmm. saved him." Did he have any other long term deficits? No, no, it just took him a while to kind of remember like who he was and what he was doing at work. 
Wow. Uh, yeah. So now that sticks with other people and then yeah. they never let go of it. And then, like you said, you're all of a sudden you're Stefan, the diabetic and expectations for you were lower unnecessary, you know, unreasonably. So, um, or you're stuck doing a, a campaign of, you know, education throughout the building to bring everybody else up to speed. And I mean, how are you going to do that even, you know? Yeah. 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 So reasonable concerns. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and two, it was, it was, um, MDI was just, yeah, the lack of flexibility. Okay. That's what was killing me. But at, at the time, uh, when I was on MDI, it was definitely the more affordable option because I didn't have insurance mm-hmm. when I was diagnosed. Oh, because you were still a student and you just got this job not that long ago. Okay. Yeah. Aged out of my parents' plan. I, you know, I thought I'm healthy. I, I don't care. I can, I can wait until my job kicks in. I don't need health insurance. Yeah. Yeah. And then your, then your pancreas kicked out. And then, yep. uh, yeah. Ooh. So you were just, so, so when you talk about that, you didn't have a job at the moment, right? But you had diabetes. Uh, so I was, I, I was still working the same place I'm working now, but I was a co-op. I see. Okay. So no insurance yet. Right. And so how do you make those decisions? So you've got, you have an income, but you don't have insurance. You just get the needles and the insulin and that's it. Some test strips. <laughs> So what really, so I say I don't have a dog, but now you can hear my sister's dog. Um, don't feel like you have to explain your lies, Stefan. Just tell me about this. <laughs> uh, so yeah, for me, it was, um, honestly, I like, oh man, this is going to sound so silly, but like the first script that I got out of the hospital, I completely like broke down crying. So like 27 year old in the hospital crying, like in, in this nurse's lap basically because that that bill was seven hundred dollars for a bottle of lantus and uh one uh vial of humalog mm-hmm. and then some syringes um honestly what i did um i relied on my endo for samples i explained the situation and it's like i i you know can you samples 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 yeah <laughs> just put your hands out please sir yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um because 700 dollars just was not something you had no yeah. not not and that was you know 700 dollars a month right what would that have done so be clear for a second without telling us your net worth or something like that but you know a large chunk of your monthly income 700 dollars and and yeah. what would you have had to did you have anything big enough in your life to cut out to make up that money? I don't even imagine you did. Uh at the time, yeah, that was that was a huge chunk. I mean, I I could have given up my like my car, but then I wouldn't be able to go to work. Mm-hmm. Or or your I'm um, I'm sure all of your charitable givings you could have just cut back on. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder what they think when they're like it's just $700. You're like, mm, "What do you think I'm doing over here exactly?" <laughs> right. Well, I'll just stop writing my big check out to United Way like I always do. And uh, yeah, it's a it's not it's a very strange space when you are one of those people, the people who are not covered by insurance and don't have just scads of expendable cash. I don't know anybody that feels like they have scads of expendable cash. My brother and I were talking recently, you know, in our our financial structures are pretty different from one another. But in the end, at the end of the month. He's got no money left over and I got no money left over. It's just, you know, it's, it's not like, 
it's not like suddenly you make a little more money and wow, we it's it just sits in a pile at the end of the day, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, I coupled that with like student loans and you know living by myself. I, I moved back in. Yeah, with my parents, I, that was the only way I could make uh, this work. These were, and then and then it's not only that seven hundred dollars a month for the insulin; it's the hospital bill. You know. Yeah, how much was that? Do you remember? Oh man, three hundred thousand. Ooh, okay. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> okay. Hold on a second. So after you filed for bankruptcy, tell me what happened next. <laughs> how do you yeah. pay a three hundred thousand dollar hospital bill? First, you negotiated it down, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they, they, there was some. Uh, I remember, like in the ICU, they they were trying to give me like, uh, um, there was heparin shots every day. Uh, they were trying to give me these like laxatives. I have no idea why. <laughs> Because they were $1,000 a pill. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like the nurse would come in. She's like, I have your heparin and I have your laxatives. I'm like, what do I need that for? You know, go away. Yeah. You know, I um when my iron got very low a couple of years ago, I took myself to the emergency room. Now, the oddity was that I had been working with a physician for almost a year. We were just up to the part where I was about to get the iron infusion and I almost mm-hmm. fell over. So I ended up in the emergency room and they kept me overnight, which I was like fine with. And the next day. This woman walks in the room. I'm like, hi, don't know you. She goes, I'm the neurologist. I'm here to check you over. I'm like, no. And she's like, well, you almost passed out. I'm like, you need to get out of here. I was like, my iron's low. And she goes, you have insurance. And I went, I don't care. Like, get out. (laughs) I was like, no. Like, don't. I I get why they were doing it. And I even get that I wasn't going to really, it wasn't going to hit me out of pocket. Like, maybe it would have ended up costing me $50 more to have her do it. But I'm like, I'm here because I have low iron. I almost fell over because I had no ferritin in my body whatsoever. And right. my red blood cells were not carrying oxygen any longer. So I don't, I'm good. And and then she was literally on the heels of a cardiologist who wanted to do an EKG. And I was like, no. Like, I mean, who else is out there trying to get paid is how it felt. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, is the, is the candy striper going to come in and tell me about her Etsy store in a minute? Yeah. <laughs> so I, was like, I, was like, I was like, everybody get out of here. You know, like I, I got the iron. I'm leaving now. Uh, oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It was like the, uh, was it the endocrinologist that I saw for 15 minutes a day sent me a bill? And I was like, you didn't even like talk to me. You just said you're doing well. Keep it up. And then the diabetic educator would come in and let's go through your booklets. Way to go, buddy. That's going to cost you three grand. Uh, oh, yeah. We I used to have a joke. Um, I would tell my wife, I was like, I think the endocrinologist only touches Arden once a year because there must be a law that she has to physically contact her. <laughs> because, you know, we, you know, Arden's. Uh, visits her always with her nurse practitioner. Yeah. Um, and it was like that for a long time. And the doctor never came in. But once a year, the doctor would come in and literally like put her hand on her shoulder or something. And I'm like, I think there's something going on here that I'm not aware of. And then we'd see her once a year. Now, the the hospital has now changed since then. You actually see the doctor at every visit now, which was not the case in the past. But back then, that was always my thought. I'm like, she's just touching her so that she can legally say I touched her because <laughs> she didn't do anything. Like She was just like she'd come in and put her hands on her somehow and then ask her how she was feeling and then look at the chart and go, oh, you're doing great. Do you have any questions? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> how would I know the questions they ask, by the way? Yeah, totally get that, too. Yeah. I, I say endocrinologist like I've been moving around endocrinologist. I think I've met the endocrinologist once. And it's yeah, it's been the nurse practitioner who helps me. Yeah. No, no, the the whole system's a little weird. 
obviously. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, I'm always baffled when they're, they're like, do you have any questions? That would be like, literally, if you put me on a rocket and you were like, Hey, you've got to figure out how to fly this rocket to the moon. Go ahead and ask your questions. that will get you to that end. Right. I'd be like, I don't know what questions to ask about that because I've never flown a rocket before. Um, and by the way, space is in my head a lot because I'm going to interview April next week. And April works at NASA and she has time. Oh, I'm super excited for that. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, I don't, I guess that's just in my head for some reason, but yeah, I, I, um, I'm fascinated by that. Like what questions do you have? Like, could you not like, like if, if Stefan, I'll tell you right now, if you put me in a room with somebody who was just diagnosed with type one diabetes, I would not need them to speak. And I could, I could have them leave that room better off than they were when they got in. They don't need to ask. I don't need to know what they don't know. I know what I know, and I know what they need to know. I don't understand why you have to know what's in their head exactly about management stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to people, hear their fears, understand stuff like that. I'm just saying like it's an odd thing to say you're the teacher and then not want to say anything. So it's like, like can you really not... It sounds pompous, but I could explain diabetes to you in 45 minutes in a way that would put your A1C in the sixes. Like, how is that not like how this works? It freaks me out a little bit. Um, anyway, I'm sorry. Did you have anything you want to talk about? We're like an hour in. I should probably have asked you, was there a reason you're on the show? <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. It's, it's the big thing was like, I wanted to give back a little bit. Um, your show helped me a lot. Uh, it was basically like what, so like I said, I, I left that hospital with like a pamphlet that was very generally written. And then like some booklet from, I think Eli Lilly or something like that. And it was like this podcast and some YouTube videos, which <laughs> that was my diabetes education. Cause you know, they, they tell you, you get out of the hospital, they say, Oh, by the way, make an appointment with your endocrinologist as soon as possible. So then, you know, you call up your endocrinologist and it's like, yeah, we can fit you in uh, three months from now. Won't I and be dead like, in three months? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that was, I was like, well, I'm just newly diagnosed. Can we push this up? And she's like, well, we can try for something in like a month and a half. Yeah. yeah right. Like my mom had to have surgery one time and it was really important. They're like, we can do this in eight weeks. I was like, can she last eight weeks? Like, is that the play here? Really? Um, so how'd you find the podcast? Uh, Google. Uh, honestly, it was just Googling, like, how to type one diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan, you're telling me you even lost your Google skills when you got type one. You're just yeah. like, help, <laughs> Stefan. <laughs> yeah. T type one, help now. <laughs> how to? Question mark. Please. Please, <laughs> you're the shittiest Google search ever. You're just like type one diabetes. Please help. Uh, by the way, if I thought that's what people Googled, I would set my SEO up on it. Uh, but <laughs> they don't. I'll tell you, search engine optimization is ridiculous. It is fascinating to see that when put to it, how similarly most people ask questions. Mm -hmm. It's it really is interesting. Like the way questions are asked are. Um, here, I'll give you a little inside baseball on the podcast, right? Did you ever hear the 911 episode where the person came on who was a paramedic? Oh, no, I don't think I've listened to that one yet. So it's, ter it's a terrific episode and it absolutely worked out completely 
opposite of how it was supposed to. And here, here's how I'll explain it to you. Through understanding SEO, because there is a listener of the podcast who does it professionally, who is very kind and helps me with it. She told me, hey, people abundantly Google about diabetes tattoos, type 1 diabetes tattoos. Mm-hmm. She's like, you should do an episode on that. People are really interested in it. And I was like, huh, I don't know how interested I am in it. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I don't know if there's like a whole like conversation in there. So I started thinking about it and I thought, well, why do people have these tattoos? Mainly they have them because they want, you know, EMTs or paramedics to see that they have type 1 diabetes in the event of an emergency. So then I started researching and I found this person who has just this fantastic paramedic podcast. And I, was, I reached out to her and I got her to come on the show. That took months. Like this whole pro, like I know it feels like I'm just like, hey, I just talk into the microphone. But like, so I'm doing all that. I get her on. I don't know her thoughts or feelings at all on any of this. And I ask her this question about, you know, t- so type one diabetes um, tattoos, they must be really helpful. Like that's the vibe I'm coming from. And she stuns me by saying, no, you should not rely on those. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh. And so the entire episode that you hear, which I think turned out really well, was not nearly what I expected it was going to be when I started it. Like, if you really listen back to it, you'll hear a pause where you hear my brain go, oh, good, Scott, what are you going to do now? She just said those are not a good idea. (laughs) And, (laughs) uh, And then I leaned on other questions I had, and we ended up having this great conversation about what it's like to be a a paramedic or an EMT in an emergency situation with a type one, what type ones could do, some things that they think they, you know, that people might think are obvious things to do that aren't. And she was, it ended up being terrific, but it all came from search engine optimization. Um, So I'm- That's so funny (laughs) that you bring that up too, because that, that, like before this whole coronavirus hit, that I was planning on going and getting a tattoo, <laughs> and I was going to be a type one tattoo, not not like a emergency tattoo, but just something like type one related. Like, hey, you know, you know, commemorative, or I don't know. Well, you can still get a tattoo, but from what I understand, don't expect that that means a paramedic's going to know you have type one diabetes from your tattoo. Even if you like, people listening now might be like, well, what if I just put it in an obvious place? You should go listen to her conversation. It's when she describes what it's like to be a medical person in that situation and what goes through her head. Her name is Ginger Locke. She's fantastic. It's episode 387. But but you'll you'll believe when you get done that a, a T1D tattoo is not an absolute slam dunk or maybe even close to letting a, an emergency services person know you have diabetes. Yeah, basically, unless you put it on your forehead. Yeah, well, you know what? It's funny. She's, I, I said to her, like, well, what if you put it in a really obvious place? And she said, do you really think I'm looking at your tattoos while I'm trying to save your life? And I was like, oh, yeah. well, sh- that's a good point. You know, yeah. like, like that would be like if, if you were having a heart attack and at the end of it, you were dead on the floor and the EMT looked at your wife and said, the artwork in this room is lovely. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, you're like, you're like, why were you looking at that? Like, couldn't you have been paying attention to his EKG? Maybe that would have saved him. And so the idea is, is that it, it they look for the, um, the bracelets mm-hmm. and the, and a necklace, I think she said, but they're running their hands. It's not as visual as you would think. It's very interesting. She explained it obviously way better than I could. Um, but I'm lucky to have that episode as part of the, the podcast. I feel like, but it happened almost by mistake. 
So I was just trying to, you know, find content that people would find interesting that I thought they wanted. And instead, I ended up giving them something they needed. They didn't know they needed it, and I didn't know it existed, which I think harkens back to something I said earlier, you know, which is why would you put a person in a room and ask them what they need to know? They don't know. Mm -hmm. If they knew, they wouldn't be there asking, you know. Um, Anyway, okay, so what kind of tattoo were you going to get? Uh, so, uh, it was kind of dumb, but you know, it probably like a syringe or something. Yeah. I would have put yeah. you in a car, a test car, hanging out the window, crazed, big bug eyes, <laughs> writing down gibberish on a clipboard. That's what I would do. <laughs> With the blood glucose meter just flashing low. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm now expecting that three years from now, a car is going to hit the, um, it's going to hit the market and people are going to get in and be like, this car works terribly. <laughs> like, like, I wonder, I wonder if the guy who was uh, working this all out, his blood sugar was 45 while he was writing down. <laughs> Why does this thing hesitate all the time? I, so I have, can I ask, we're over your hour, but can I keep you for a little bit? Yeah. Oh, cool. All right. I have questions. So how, if cars are this specific and they work this well, how do sometimes they not work? Like my computer either works or it doesn't. There's no middle ground. But how how come once in a while my car still like feels like it didn't get a chance to warm up on a cold morning? Like it, it's reminiscent of a carburetor in 1985 or something like that. Is that is that the mechanical stuff not operating the way it should? Even though you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, I guess it could be one of two things either. Yeah. The mechanics are something's broken mechanically, but there's also like engineering is really the art of, I, I guess, good enough and fudge factors. Mm -hmm. Like we, there's still a lot that we don't know how it works and we can't really like, reduce it into a, a mathematical equation. So you kind of fudge factor stuff and this is close enough and it works most of the time. Yeah. That kind of stuff. How um, impactful is it? Are you, were you a mechanic before you did this? Like, are you a grease monkey and like, like privately or no? And if not, is that harmful to your job or? No, no, I was, yeah. I, I think it helps like uh, for being an automotive engineer to have an interest. Um, so my dad, he's a mechanic, like full out mechanic owns a shop wrenches and you know i would go in on summers and help he owns wrenches i have an app <laughs> how does your dad see that does he look at you like uh what a letdown or is he amazed by it like i am i'm amazed by what you do but i'm just i'm wondering if he's so steeped and like just let me get my hands in there i'll figure out how to make it work yeah yeah usually uh the uh the mechanics harbor uh disdain for the engineers so, so in an attempt to follow in your father's footsteps, you made him hate you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Ever the disappointment. <laughs> again, Stefan, again. <laughs> You're just like, yep. wait, what's wrong? Uh, no, that's just really, it's interesting because, I mean, I, I had a, like, I have a seat that goes up and down, right? My back seat folds down mm -hmm. and it just sometimes would go down and get stuck. Or sometimes it would go down and it felt like it hit a limit it wasn't supposed to, and it would pop back up again. So I told them, you know, hey, this happens. Oh, yeah, we'll take care of it. We'll take care of it. The third time I was like, look, you got to fix this. Like, like, just don't tell me you're going to take care of it again and have it keep happening. 
So I came back in. The guy's like, oh, it's going to work now. And I was like, what'd you do? He goes, oh, we just swapped out the whole seat. Yeah. Which to me sounded like we don't know what's wrong with this thing. So maybe yeah. a new seat will work better. Yeah, pretty much. Is this why mechanics look so clean now when I see them? At, like when you go into a car dealership, the guys that work on the cars are clean, as clean as the salespeople. They just don't have a tie on. Yeah, it, it's uh, swapping parts. It re- so do you think so? A, so a person now is more of a technician than a mechanic. Yeah, absolutely. There's like so much electronic parts, and some of the systems are so complicated, like a turbocharger for you know smaller turbocharged engines. Mm-hmm. If something goes wrong just replace it you're you're not gonna either it's not gonna work right if you rebuild it or you're just never gonna find what's wrong wow or like transmissions transmissions are like this big magical black box that hooks up to the engine and makes wonderful things happen make car go magics make car go you know like i can't explain those to you but those get replaced i had a new car once that had an issue they came in and they replaced the part the issue persisted it happened again the third time it went in I, I said to them when I sent it in, I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, we have a bad batch of parts. And it was a thing that kept the car from operating, right? It stopped mm-hmm. me from driving the car. And so in 24 hours, the company contacted me and said, we are not going to try to fix your car again because the New Jersey lemon law states that after the third fix, if this breaks again, we just we have to take the car back and we have to designate it as a lemon, which means we can't sell it again. But... One day we'll get through these bad parts and this will never be a problem in your vehicle. Right. They bought the car right. back for me, shelved the car and with a with a business plan of sitting on the car until the parts were good again. And then they would put the part back in and then resell the car. So I had like 25,000 miles on a car and they just said, do you still want the same color? And I was like, yeah. And they just gave me a new car. Yeah. Yeah, and either yeah, either they'll keep it and resell it, or it'll go to you know us, and we'll tear it apart and try and figure it out. And if we can't, well, yeah, uh-oh. it was fascinating. Like it wasn't the dealership anymore. Like I got called by the parent company. You know, they were like, "We don't want to fix this car again. We know what's going to happen." So, right. are you okay with just taking a new car? I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I am." Thanks for asking. Uh, and, and nothing happened. Like my my loan just kept going the way it was, and it was really interesting. Yeah. Um, you know, and it it all did stem from that idea of like, look, we can't fix the part, so we'll just wait until those parts work better. It's like, wow, that's interesting as hell. Um, combustion engines mm-hmm. that physically don't look anything like like the engine I remember in my car, like a Ford straight six or a Chevy three fifty, like that stuff, they, they don't physically look, they're just aluminum boxes now. Right. Uh, no, not all of them. No, but, no, not all of them. Uh, some of them. Yeah, for sure. But, but you know, the, the way they work is still the same. What's the reasoning behind trying to keep it looking somewhat recognizable to the user is that the idea or is it that the form factor still works so why change it like why are some so different than others definitely for some of it is it's the form factor that works um the ones that are different those are going to be like your four cylinders and stuff like that um key so here's a interesting concept um a lot of engine design is either tied to packaging because you got to fit it all in there or actually making the engine more efficient. So 
you want to keep it as small as possible and they actually believe it or not as hot as possible within the limits right because you so work what's the heat part for yep uh the heat part um it's basically how it works right so you have a temperature difference that's what drives the work so the more temperature you bleed off into the coolant system that's more temperature that doesn't go into driving your pistons up and down so energy in general you're trying to maximize the energy that it's creating even if that energy isn't motion it's heat uh so yeah and you want to keep that heat in the motor okay within the um, you know within the limits of the parts that you're using so for aluminum you can't overheat your aluminum but you want to keep it pretty hot that's interesting i don't know that i'll ever understand completely what you're saying but it's it is it's fascinating that that's even a consideration especially within my lifetime you know if you really think about what an engine is in my lifetime it's the block and the heads and some pistons and some spark plugs and you know a reservoir for oil and not much else you, you, you know like there's there, there was a time when that's really all it was. Mm-hmm. And, and to think that you're having considerations like that. And back then they were just trying to get the heat out of it. Right. Like you, you, if a, those motors warmed up too much, they just, they blew up. Yeah. That's really cool. Wow. What do you think cars are going to look like in the future? Like if you had unlimited resources financially, if, if a company did, would cars just look completely different? Are we stuck building on top of a, an antiquated system? I think some, some of it. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is the limits of materials. Like you could use certain shapes for bodies and things like that. You have to have for crash worthiness or because the parts need to be strong with the materials that we have, mm-hmm. you know, um, you look at some of the cars that push the limits of technology, like those uh, solar powered cars yeah. or those cars that go 300 miles per hour. You know, they look really cool with their shape and their aerodynamics, but they're extremely fragile. So <laughs> so bumping into something at a high rate of speed, not a good idea. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's actually really funny. You bring that up. I was reading um, on my window sticker to one of my uh, like a car the other day. I didn't know. You know how it like it seems like you get in a fender bender and it's like thousands of dollars worth of damage. Yeah. The federal crash standard or for bumpers is two and a half miles per hour. So any speed above that is like disastrous to your bumper. It's going to wreck it. Yeah. <laughs> My son uh, pulled forward in his car and it kind of went over top of like a, like a parking block. Mm-hmm. And when he backed away from it, did some Ooh, damage pulled it, it off it, it, not even pulled it off it just did some damage and i, I think we ended up paying like 1600 dollars to repair the car yeah and it was just swapping parts out like there was no structurally nothing you know they took some stuff off and threw it away and put other stuff on it and it was uh when i saw the bill it was like 1600 bucks uh yeah. i said to my son like don't pull forward as far next time please <laughs> we we call that the uh the uh parking sensor yeah the par- people do that <laughs> I found it. Bang. Yep. (laughs) Well, I have to say that I even like the way seating happens in a vehicle. I'm even confused why that's that way. I guess there are real reasons, but there's part of me that wonders like, why can't we all face in towards each other? Or why can't the seats turn 
45 degrees at a time. Like, why do I have to face forward? Can I face to the right? Can I face backwards? You, you know, like in a van situation, like couldn't that move around? And if that's the case, then does the car really need to be that shape? Like there, I, mm-hmm. there's just a lot of ways to go that I think are too far outside of the, of what people expect. And when you get away from their expectations, then that seems ugly or wrong and then they won't buy it. So you're not incentivized to be too forward thinking. Right. You know, I I can remember uh, getting a magazine once and it, I think it was around 2001 and it was like in 10 years, your transmission will be push button. You won't have to move a stick any longer to move your automatic transmission in and out of gear. And mm-hmm. then they showed a demo of it. And I was like, Stefan, I'll just beep this out. Because when I saw it, I was like, mother, if you can do it now, why do I have to wait 10 years for it? Like, I don't understand. You're doing it right in front of me right now. And then you start thinking about like, well, we have stock. We need to sell that stock. And then we got to make changeovers and we got to make some money, right? There's R&D. We got to sell some cars off of that for a few years to get our money back and to make a profit. And when you really look at the business of it, like once the business shakes out, We'll be able to get this in like 10 years. And now my transmission is a dial. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even a button. I just turn it. And I'm starting to wonder how necessary that is. Like, couldn't I yell go car like the way you Google? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, yeah, I think you hit it on the head because it's like you look back at some of the uh, like advances in automotive technology, like uh, seat belts, you know, and you see the pushback that there was to seat belts. Um, Turbo motors, you know, everyone said, oh, they're unreliable. You'll you'll buy it. It's just going to be a piece of shit. It's just going to blow up on you. Mm-hmm. You know, and now everything has a turbo. Everything has to have seat belts. Yeah. Oh, I mean, God, it, th- there are no, like, large block engines anymore in, in most, you know, most generalized vehicles. Like, I have a pretty big vehicle, and it still doesn't have a huge engine. Like, by the standards I grew up with, the... um. I guess it's this is it cubic inches. Is that how motors are, are measured? Uh, liters. Liters. So I, it mine's way off. Like from my understanding of when I was a child to now, like my my vehicle should need a bigger motor in my mind, but the motor that's in it, it does a great job for it. And and it's also you know I see my wife's car or my son's car has like turbo in it. Like I don't even think he's got a motor in his car. Like I think there are like three mice burning cardboard in there, and then on <laughs> top of it there's a turbo. <laughs> you know this magic thing that just makes energy um, when you need it and not when you don't. Mm-hmm. It's really it's, I find it all incredibly fascinating. But like I said, yeah. I, well, so what do you think about what I said about wanting an electric car once? You know what I, I, I want one. Yeah, that's that yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's going to be coming. I, I think I, I'm with you. It's on my bucket list, like driving one at least once, not necessarily owning it, but I would like to drive one. I am worried so, about the like adding a charger. Charging. Yeah. Add to my, I don't even matter. Like I'm old now, Stefan. I don't have anything to do. So I don't mind the limited like 400 miles on a charge or whatever it ends up being, you know, 300, 400, 500 miles on a charge that I'm okay with. Like, it's the idea of like having to have someone come in the house and like install this thing. And, you know, like that part, I guess is, is a, is a sticking point for me. Not enough to stop me from doing it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know. It just seems like I used to tell people when I was younger, I, I used to say, this is back when I expected I would live like a 90 years. And now, 
you know, as I sit here and talk to you for an hour, my hip will be stiff when I stand up. So maybe, maybe I was being a little too generous <laughs> with how long I was going to make it. Uh, but I used to say, like, I would give away the last 10 years of my life if I could come back for a year every 10 years just to see what happens. Oh, I'd do 100 years. Yeah. And then I started thinking about it. Like, I haven't, it's not every 10, it's every 100, right? Like, I want to, I just want to see, like, even if it's just for a year, just enough for me to get my feet wet, find a little apartment, and then be like, all right, let me see what's changed. And then I disappear again for 100 years and come back. Like, I think yeah. that would be really amazing because we just don't have the we don't have the ability to recognize in modern life how far things have come so quickly like it's easy to say but you know people rode horses as a main way of transportation not that long ago yeah and i mean you know circling back to diabetes that was invent you know insulin was discovered what 100 years ago now yeah oh Oh, Stefan, you're delightful. My entire conversation about these cars has been about diabetes. You heard it, right? <laughs> That's why the podcast is interesting. <laughs> so I'm not just sitting here saying like ham-fisted stuff all the time. Yeah. Oh, by the way, so for anybody who didn't get that as you're listening, everything I just said about technology and about moving forward and not being scared and trying new things, uh, you're supposed to do that with your type one. That was my uh, that was my tip for the day. <laughs> I was just slyly slipping it in here because Stefan works on cars for a living. It's pretty sneaky, right, Stefan? Don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Not like your dad who just pulls you into a room and reminds you of what a letdown you are every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Buy a wrench, you bastard. <laughs> Design them better. Yeah, like that. I have an airbook. I'm good, okay? Thanks. <laughs> My MacBook Pro takes care of everything your wrenches do. Uh, hey. nah, that's that's uh, it, it's just to me, it's it's about moving forward. It's about not getting stuck. It's about not having such a preconceived idea that you can't break yourself free and try more or try different. Um, I, I think you always have to have a little bit of that explorer's feeling in you. Like, I want to know what this is. And, and you know, lose the fear to, or at least find a place to pack the fear away. You know, do what Stefan does when he goes over to his parents' house. Just cry in the car and then run forward, okay? You just <laughs> – your dad's probably a lovely man, and I'm just maligning him and your relationship. For Are you kidding me? He'd, he'd be cackling. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, seriously, it's – it's it, you know, in simpler terms, you do not want to look up 10 years from now, look at your diabetes setup and think, oh, wow, no one does it like this anymore? Why is that? Because what that probably means is that your care is – not where it could be. And a lot of times that also means simplicity, ease, flexibility, use, you know, all that stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't do MDI. I know a lot of people who inject with pens or syringes who do a really amazing job for themselves. I'm just saying, look up once in a while and see what else there is. Maybe some of it's cool. Get into an ugly car and drive it, you know, just because you think it's ugly. Just all that really means is it doesn't look like what you're used to. And now I need people to donate $80,000 so I can get a Tesla truck so that I can really live my dream here on this. Cybertruck. That's the one. My daughter's like, that thing is ugly. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> I said, the 15-year-old boy in me that imagined the future thinks that's right. Absolutely. That thing, that thing is like, it's like. Oh man, I remember when we, I first saw it, when it was being unveiled, it was like, this thing is wild. 
Like, forget every Lamborghini. This thing is wild. I loved it when I heard the story. It's too big for modern garages. They have to scale it down. I was like, don't you dare. I'll leave it outside. (laughs) 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 You're telling me it's that big and it's basically a slot car? I was like, I have to find out what it's like to drive a tri-motor cyber truck. Like, I want to know why a pickup truck needs to go zero to 60 in under three seconds. I don't I don't know that there's a function for it, but I really want to experience it one time. You know what it reminds me of is um as a motorcycle rider for a long time, uh when I was much younger. Mm-hmm. And uh one morning we were I'll let you go after this. I'm sorry. One morning I was uh it was I was working, it was a Saturday, right? And um and uh they were selling concert tickets like a half an hour from my job. And I had it in my head that I could sneak out of my job. And, um, and I could make it to this place, buy these tickets, which I think were Ozzy Osbourne and get back without anyone noticing. Cause it was super early. They, the tickets went on sale at 6am. My bosses didn't come until eight. I had it in my head. I could work this out. So I'm up on this highway, five 30 in the morning on my motorcycle. I used to drive a GSXR 750. And so I'm, I'm heading down the street. There's no one out there. I want to be clear. No one. And I'm on this highway and I am just going like I am going as fast as I can and um when the cop pulled me over (laughs) uh he said I was going 135 miles an hour over the speed 105 miles an hour over the speed limit and he seemed very upset because he was screaming a lot (laughs) and uh and it's the first time I ever really thought about it because I don't know if people understand speed but once you become accustomed to it and you're not afraid of it you don't feel it the same way. So I was going a hundred and I was going 140 miles an hour. Like he must have caught me in like the 50 feet of this like highway where it got there was a light, so it went down to 35, you know. Like the highway was like 60, but then there was a traffic light in the middle of it. So that's the scam, I guess, is to pull you over in there. He probably usually gets people going 60 in a 35, but he got me going, you know, 140 in a 35. Anyway, I eventually got out of that ticket, which is a great story I could tell you another time. But it left me with the feeling of I wonder how fast this motorcycle really goes. And so I looked down one day and the, the speedometer said it went 165 miles an hour. And I was like, I'm going to try that one day. So in the middle of the night out on a lonely highway, I took that bike up to 165 and I held it there for about two seconds. And then I backed it down and never went that fast again in my entire life because it was insane. It was everything about it was wrong. There's just, there's no reason to do that. Um, and uh, Oh, but it's fun. <laughs> I, Stefan, I couldn't focus on anything. It felt like I couldn't focus a mile down the road. Like stuff was just flying past me like a movie. You you know, you couldn't find focus. You were just like, I kept thinking if I hit something like a small stone in the road or a pothole, like I'm going to die, you know? Um, But I did it just to see if it would do it. And uh, it was nuts. Uh, It really was. And I have that very similar feeling about those, about like the electric cars are fine. Like I understand they work like slot cars. Like you just all of a sudden have all the power that you need, but I don't have every design of every Tesla. I don't like, so I don't think about them, but that truck was just so different that I thought, well, that's different enough to, I don't care that it's not palatable to me. Like somehow they went past my expectations for ugly and different and like loop back around behind me. 
I don't know. It's pro- it's probably yeah. It's probably cars are starting to look so alike. You know, like every sedan looks like every other sedan. Yeah. Nowadays, that yeah, that's it's so wild and out there, and it's really like love it or hate it. Yeah. No, I agree with you. You can't. Sometimes you can't tell different car manufacturers apart anymore. They're just they're so similar and their their shapes and. It's almost like they all buy the parts at the same place and just put them together slightly differently is what it feels like. <laughs> anyway, all right. I'm going to say goodbye to you, and I'm going to ask you who you work for after we're not recording anymore. So nobody else gets to know that, but I want to know. So, all right. Thank you so much for doing this, Stefan. I was really chatty today, so I hope this was good for you. But Yeah, no. Well, thank you, Scott. No, really. And seriously, I didn't. I cut you off from saying really nice stuff about the podcast because it's um, it's lovely, but sometimes it makes me uncomfortable. And, uh, and then I joke my way through it and, uh, mm-hmm. it just gets weird, but I really appreciate that the show helped you and, and I appreciate you wanting to, to let other people know. Um, but I didn't have it in me today for you to say it. Like, I don't know why the douche chills would have been too much for me for some reason. <laughs> All right. Hold on one second. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G V O K E G L U C A G O N dot com forward slash juice box. I'd also like to thank the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter for fitting so well in my daughter's bag in my hand and doing such a terrific job of giving us accurate results that we can make good decisions with. Contournext.com forward slash juicebox. Links in your show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com.